Hey, let's get started. Charlie's not here, so we're recording for him. Charlie, welcome to the Bible study. I'm glad you're joining us. Do you have any questions, Charlie? Anything. Oh, wait. Go ahead. Oh, good question, Charlie. Uh, Evan <clears throat> inhaled his water instead of drinking it, yeah. so he's going to have a coughing fit. Um, okay, so do you guys want to continue in Ephesians or answer more questions? Um, we can go back to Ephesians. Okay. Where were we? Whatever you guys want to do. I don't, I don't have any questions. That I, know of. I think we finished in 16. Chapter 2, verse 16. I don't know. I think we got to 19, didn't we? Well, we read through. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. All the way through the end of the chapter, but. <clears throat> Actually, we already discussed the rest of the chapter. So we can move on to chapter 3. Yeah. Because everything we discussed in 17 through 22, everything that's in 17 through 22 we already worked through theologically. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and if not here, we did it in twice on Friday Bible study and Wednesday night. Okay. So, chapter 3. Let's start with verses 1 through 6. Um, Dante, why don't you read for us? All of them? Actually, what do we need to do first? Pray. Who wants to pray? I will. Okay. Dear Jesus, I pray for this time that we'd learn much from it and that we'd be able to learn more from it outside of Bible study and other things we do. Amen. Good. Amen. Alright. Dante, read 1 through 6. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you, of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been revealed to his holy, holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel. All right, so <laughs> I said hairs. I was gonna say hairs. <laughs> um, okay, I was gonna. Do about okay, first question, verse one. What's Paul start with? For this reason. Okay, so what question do we need to ask? What happened? What's the reason? What reason? So what's the reason? Um, uh, 
Um, um, for this reason, in him you are also being built together into the one place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner, <coughs> for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, now he starts a parenthetical statement. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, when he starts verse 1, for this reason, what's the reason? Um... Or let me ask it this way. Is he looking back? So this, this would be the reason. The word this, right? Yes. For this reason. What's this? Is it something he just said or something he's going to say? Um, something he just said. What did he just say? Can you um, summarize what he was just saying? Um, so are we talk like what I look like before there then like in like the previous chapter until like verse like I'd say eleven through twenty two of the last chapter mm -hmm. oh for us all being one in Christ who's us and what's the oneness and why is it significant Gentiles and Jews and we're one now because Jesus has fulfilled the law. Yep, and broken down the hostility and brought in the Gentiles, right? <clears throat> yes. So, so this reason could be that Gentiles are now God's people, right? Which is yes. a total change from the Jews being God's people. But Gentiles suddenly are part of God's people too. And when we read Acts 15 on Friday morning... We saw how that was always God's plan, mm -hmm. right? So, he says, for this reason, this reason being the mystery, which because he tells us in verse 6 and verse 4, um, you can read, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. The mystery is this reason in verse 1, which is that the church in Christ, is comprised of all nations, tribes, languages, tongues. This was always God's plan. When God made a promise to Abraham, his promise to Abraham wasn't, you know, just Israel will get these certain things on earth, like land and, um, you know, a future 
uh, eternal uh, uh, a seat at the temple, which is what he clarifies later as he kind of maybe upgrades or, or makes a covenant with David. Um, so Israel's perspective on God's promise to Abraham was always an earthly perspective. We're going to get land, we're going to get all these things, but what does God actually tell Abraham? Your seed will bless the what? Land. Nope. Your seed will bless the... Nations. Nations. That's everybody. So God's promise right from the beginning was this gospel that is going to be revealed, it's a mystery in Abraham's time. It's a mystery in Moses' time. It's a mystery in David's time. It's a mystery in the prophet's time. And what we find in the New Testament is that the, the gospel that was written by the prophets was written for us. And now the mystery is revealed. And that's what Paul's saying in this whole, just chapter 3 is, is about this mystery revealed. And the mystery is that it wasn't known before and now God's salvation, God's gospel is available for the whole world. And so he says, for this reason, so because the gospel is for the world, not just for the Jews. I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of who? You Gentiles. You Gentiles. So that's his point. It's like, the reason I'm... Uh, the reason that is that Gentiles get saved, or that the gospel's for the nations, is my ministry. And then he kind of starts this parenthetical state. You guys know what a parenthetical statement is? Yeah. Do you, Dante? Oh, well, it's like in parentheses. Or... Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a it's like a rabbit trail, sort of. Okay, but it's not really a rabbit trail for Paul. It's sort of, sort of parenthetical, but he's making a point. He's saying, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So he's, what is he doing he's assuming and what's he assuming that they heard of the stewardship of god's grace so what's the stewardship of god's grace that was given to paul for them um the answer is in verse three he describes the stewardship of god's grace that was given to him in verse three how the mystery was made known to be by revelation. Yeah, so he's saying, I assume, Ephesian believers who are Gentiles, that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me by you. What is the stewardship of God's grace? Well, God revealed to me the mystery and made it known. And now, what does stewardship mean? Huh. I know what it is. I just don't know how. Yeah, to say stewardship it. is like. Well, work it out. Being nice. You've to heard of the stewardship. Things. No, not being nice to things. Being nice to people. No. I know it's like. It's like a service. Like. Um. All right. I am. I have been given. Um, a home. God has provided me with a home, vehicles children take care take care of stewardship is to care for something to steward something means that you are to essentially like it's like managing it like handling it okay and so he's saying 
I assume that you believers have heard that God is that God's grace, which is another is basically a synonym for the gospel, because we see in like Acts, actually we'll see this on Friday. We see in Acts that they call uh, they they commend the God's grace to the apostles. So like meaning they hand the God's grace to the apostles. That's it's their way of saying they gave him the gospel to go share. Okay? So Paul was made a steward of the gospel. So stewardship of God's grace, Paul was made a steward of the gospel. And he says it was given to me for you. Who's you? The Gentiles. The Gentiles. So God gave me the gospel to give to Gentiles. That's what he's saying. So he defines it even more clearly in verse 3. What does he say in verse 3? How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Okay. So now what do we call the stewardship of God's grace? What do we just say? Stewardship of God's grace is. Uh, what is God's grace? What's a synonym for God's grace here? Um, a synonym for God's grace. I just told it to you. Okay, what's a synonym? Synonym. Like same. The same. Like same something meaning. that means the same. Similar. Okay. Um, you just told us. Yeah. He was. He's to steward what? For the Gentiles. The gospel. The gospel. Okay. So he is a steward of the gospel. And then in verse 3. Oh, okay. I see. He clarifies that this gospel is a mystery. Or I should say was a mystery because he says you can perceive insight. And he goes on later to, well, he says here in verse 3, how the mystery was made known. So it was a mystery but it doesn't remain a mystery. Is a mystery known? No. If it's known, it's not a mystery. Yeah. So he calls it a mystery, and then he immediately unmystifies it by saying it was made known. Right? Yes. And how was it made known to Paul? By revelation. Like, what does that mean? Like, Revelation. Just by like What's a the miracle or something only God could do? Sort of. Um, I mean, that's true of revelations. Um, of a revelation. Um, what is the root word in revelation? <laughs> the root Red. word in, in revelation? Revelation. Reveal? Yeah. <laughs> So what does revelation mean? To reveal. To reveal. Oh. So. It's like rebel. So Reva. listen. God, <laughs> rebel. Um, God makes Paul a steward of the gospel for the Gentiles. It was a mystery, but God has made it known. And how did God make it known? By. Revelation. By revealing it. By revealing it to who? Paul. To Paul. Now, here's a question that would be even harder that you probably don't know. Although you guys have been in our Galatians study on Friday night. So, how did God reveal it to Paul? 
How did God reveal the mystery? So the mystery was hidden. And the hidden aspect of the mystery here, what is the mystery? Let's skip ahead. To, let's just figure out what the mystery was, is. What is the mystery here? Well, it tells us. It's, it says it explicitly clear in this text. Not verse 3, though. Or 4. Or 5. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members yes. of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Yes, verse 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's what he was telling us all in verse in chapter 2, right? Yeah. We'll look at verse 3 again. He says, God has made me, a, so verse 2, God has made me a steward, so I'm to manage the gospel that was given to him for you, the Gentiles, and he's assuming they know that, and he's assuming they know that the mystery, which was that, the gen, you know, the mystery was that Gentiles can be saved, that the gospel's for the whole world, for all nations. That wasn't known before. Now it's been made known. That's the mystery, and he says that mystery's been made known. It was revealed, and he says to me, it was revealed to me, it was made known to me by revelation. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then he says, as I have written briefly. So, that, as I have written briefly, he's referring back to chapter 2, 11 through 22. So he's telling them, everything I just told you, so that's why we know that at the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, when he says, for this reason, we know he's talking about the reason is what he just said in chapter 2, because he says in, in verse 3, I have written briefly, as I have written briefly. Yeah, because I always forget that, like when Paul wrote this, he didn't put chapters in, like, or like 1, 2, 3... He kind of put those there right. for us. So. so what he's telling them is everything I just told you about the alienation the, that the Gentiles had from God has been solved in Christ. And it was a mystery that the nations can receive, can be part of God's family, that they can be saved, that they can be God's people. But now that mystery has been revealed, it was made known to Paul by revelation. And now Paul's making it known to everyone else. So like Paul's made it known to, to the Ephesians here, <clears throat> but what did we learn in Acts? What happened in Acts with this idea that, you know, so Peter preaches the gospel in Acts 10 to, the, to, the, to Cornelius and his family, and they get saved. And then the question is raised, well, what question is raised in the church then? After Cornelius and his family get saved. What's the big dilemma going on then? Can Gentiles be saved? Can Gentiles be saved? And what do the disciples decide? Yes. Yes. Where did they decide this? Where did they decide this? What major city did they decide it in? Um, Bethlehem. No. Oh. Judah. Judah. Close. Judea. Actually, Judea is a word they use in Acts that would technically Jerusalem. suffice. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So, actually, it does. I do think it. I think it does say Judea, but they says down. They said they went down from Judea, which probably means they were in Jerusalem. So, anyways, they, Paul and Barnabas are going through, the you know they're spreading the gospel and they get to Antioch, not the Antioch that's. I guess I don't care about that. Not the Antioch that's in Galatia, but the Antioch that's 
uh, just north of Israel. Yeah, we and talked about this. Yeah. So, so they're preaching the gospel there, and some of the Jews say what? Some of the Jews rise up and say what? Well, Paul's preaching the gospel. That um, Gentiles can't be saved? Mm, they don't say that Gentiles can't be saved. They say that the Gentiles can be saved, but they have to do what? Oh, they have to follow the law. What specifically? What specific? They have to... What do they have to do? What part of the law? Oh, they have they, to be circumcised. They have to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. And they say, or they can't be saved. Yeah. In order to be saved, they, they need Jesus, but they also have to get circumcised so that they're following the law, and that's otherwise they can't be saved. That's a big statement, and it's a heresy. Mm-hmm. And Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem, and they go, hey, just so you guys know, there's a bunch of Jews who are saying that you have to get circumcised in addition to believing in Christ. So there are Jews who are teaching that the law is still a requirement. Is that what Paul's saying in Ephesians 2 and 3? No. No. So he says to the, I mean, the, the you know, the, the church in Jerusalem, which is led by James. Um, so you've got the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. James is there. Peter is there. Paul's there. Barnabas is there. Silas is there. Okay, and, and, and uh, they decide that we're not going to put the burden of the law on the Gentile believers and they don't have to obey the law to be saved and it's clarified by James. That's what we talked about on Friday morning last week. It's clarified by James that this was from Amos 9, verses 11 and 12, that this was always God's plan to save Gentiles. So it was always God's plan, meaning it was oh, it was a mystery because the Jews didn't know it, but if they'd been listening, they would have seen it. Because we can look back at the Old Testament and see that God always planned for the Gentiles to receive salvation, that the gospel was meant for the nations, that every tribe, language, tongue, and every people group will be represented in the kingdom of heaven. In order for that to happen, non-Jews have to get saved. And so... To the early church, this is news. So when Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, he's telling them what he's telling them, he's writing to them based on his experience with the church in Jerusalem. The things that we went through in Acts on Friday about Paul and Barnabas going to Jerusalem and the them, you know, James saying, Hey man, Gentiles can be saved too. Um, the gospel's for everybody. Who are we to tell people that they can't believe in Christ? And now Paul is like, yeah, so that concept makes sense biblically. And then Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians. And we see like the result of that experience that Paul has in Acts written out in letter form for the church in Ephesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't look like it makes sense. (laughs) So, he's, he goes on in verse 4. Okay, so no, I was saying all that to get to the point that this, you can see why Paul calls it a mystery. Like, like none of us are Jews, right? Yeah. So, like, this idea that non-Jews can get saved is, like, not a mystery to us, mm-hmm. right? So it's more of a theological mystery to us now. It's like now we can look at Scripture, we can understand that in the Old Testament that God's people were the Jews 
even though Gentiles still were the aim, not just Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles, that the whole world was the aim, that the nations would be blessed through Jesus, um, who is the seed of Abraham, and that was God's promise to Abraham, is that your seed, Jesus, the future Messiah, will bless the nations. The whole world will have an opportunity to believe. Mystery, to, not a mystery to us today, was a mystery to the first century Jews who didn't understand that Gentiles were getting saved. And so now Paul is saying, this mystery has been made known to me by revelation. What's a revelation? When God reveals something. Specifically, go back a couple pages to Galatians 1. Oh, that's a lot of pages for you. Yeah. Have you ever turned pages before? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, dude. I'm just messing with you. Um, all right, Evan, read Galatians 1, 11 and 12. Okay. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, what gospel is Paul preaching? Man's gospel or God's gospel? God's gospel. Okay, and how did he get God's gospel? By revelation. Of? Revelation. Of? Jesus Christ. Of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? A revelation of Jesus Christ. A revealance of Jesus Christ. Yeah, how so? What does that mean? For I did not receive it from any man. Oh, so Jesus Christ revealed it to him. Right, how? By... Um, by living it out. No. Um. If I told you that Paul had a revelation oh, of Jesus know. Christ, like the road in. of the, like. Okay, that the road is exactly what a revelation of Jesus Christ is. The road to Damascus, when Paul gets saved. Jesus reveals himself to Paul. No one else can see. Well, Saul at the time. No one else can see Jesus. Mm -hmm. Right? So, this isn't the, that's not the only time Jesus reveals himself to Paul, though. So, Jesus reveals himself in a similar fashion. That, like, it, okay, so when Paul, when Paul shows up in the Bible, um, Where is Jesus at that point? So Saul, his name's Saul, shows up in Acts 9. It's the first time we hear about Saul slash Paul in Acts 9. Okay. Okay? Where's Jesus at that point? Jerusalem. Um. Acts 9. Where's Jesus in Acts 9? Heaven. Yeah. There's Jesus in Acts 1. Uh, 
exist in, in heaven? Not yet. No. <laughs> where's Jesus in Acts? Okay, where's Jesus at the end of the... How did the Gospels end? Jesus was crucified. Right, and then he died. And what, what happened? where did they put him when he died? The tomb. The tomb. The tomb. And then what happened? He rose from the dead. He rose from the grave. And what did he do after he rose from the grave? Um, he left. Mm. Well, he revealed... Well, I mean... He stayed on earth. He stayed on him. earth and met with some of his disciples and... 30 days. 40, 40 days, days. 40 days. On earth. On earth. We're talking to the disciples. We see him at the end of, at the, at the end of the gospel... Or at the beginning of Acts, so the Gospels end in the beginning of Acts. Jesus is with these the apostles, mm-hmm. right? And he says, "You're going to go share the gospel from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth." Okay, from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. And then he says, "And I'm going to give you what to do it." The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And then what happens to Jesus? Acts one. He ascends. He ascends to heaven. So the theological word is ascension, the ascension of Christ. So he ascends to heaven. Is he still there? When? When? What Today, do you mean? right now. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so if he went there in Acts 1, has he been there the whole time? Yeah. Where? Yes. Yes. <laughs> When he went to heaven in Acts 1, he ascended to heaven in yeah. Acts 1. So are you asking, is he still in heaven? Is he still in heaven? Yes. Has he been in heaven this whole time since Acts 1? Yes. Okay, so what does it mean then if Jesus reveals himself between Acts 1 and today? The Holy Spirit. That's actually a really good answer. Um, and in a lot of ways, and in some texts, that's absolutely true. Okay. So, yes. I will not tell you that that's a wrong answer, but we're talking specifically about a literal revelation of Jesus himself. So. So something like the road to Damascus? Yeah. That that a revelation of Jesus that he gives Paul of himself is that Jesus literally shows up in Paul's experience. So whether it's a vision or Jesus just manifests himself on earth and talks to Paul... Either way, he's revealing himself to Paul, sits with Paul, talks with Paul, and according to Galatians 1, 11, and 12, teaches Paul his gospel. Okay? Okay. So where did Paul get the gospel from? Where, oh, let me ask you this. Where did you get the gospel from? The word. Okay. From the word, did somebody deliver it to you? Or did you just pick up your Bible and it made sense? Did someone teach it to you? Mm-hmm. Who yeah. taught you the gospel? You in person. Okay. Who taught you the gospel? My mom. Yeah. I mean, and there's probably other people in your life that have taught you the gospel, right? But, like, like ultimately, you believed the gospel, and you believed the gospel probably through one person. Sometimes it's going to be more than one person. Sometimes it's not that clear or that identifiable. But... Was it miraculous? Dante, when I shared the gospel with you, was it miraculous? No. No, it was like, my dad's telling me about Jesus. Okay. 
When your mom shared the gospel with you, was it miraculous? No, your mom was telling you about Jesus. Yeah. Now, if Jesus burst through the ceiling right now and came in here and shining bright light and his glory filled the room and we collapsed on our faces and he said, I'm here to teach you, do you think that might feel miraculous? Yes. Yeah. That was Paul's experience. Unlike anyone else's. Okay. So, that's what Paul, go back to Ephesians 3. Verse 3, he says, The mystery was made known to me by revelation. So, Jesus reveals himself to Paul. Jesus tells Paul what? He tells him the gospel. Right, which he doesn't call it the gospel here, though. What does he call it in verse 3? The mystery. The mystery. So Paul isn't saying that he gave us the gospel. He's saying in verse 2, God made me a steward of the gospel. And verse 3, I'm going to reveal the mystery of the gospel to you. And the only reason I know the mystery of the gospel is because Jesus told me the mystery of the gospel. Meaning everything that Paul says in chapter 2 is directly from Jesus. Because he says, the mystery that was given, the mystery, I'm sorry. Verse 3, the mystery was made known to me by revelation of Jesus, as I have written briefly. The brief writing he just gave us in chapter 2 is what he's referring to, meaning everything we already studied in chapter 2 about how Christ makes the gospel available to the whole world, that was a mystery, and Christ now showed it to Paul, and Paul's now showing it to the Gentiles. So Jesus shows up, teaches Paul exactly what the gospel is, what he Jesus has done to the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, how God has made a way for Gentiles to believe, how God has opened the door of the gospel to the world, that God's intention has always been that the whole world and all the nations would be saved through Christ, and how Jesus tore down the wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, how he abolished the ordinances of the law so that he could create one person through peace, reconciling all men to God through the cross, and he came to preach that gospel. All that, Paul was told directly by Jesus. And, G and Paul is saying, so everything I've written you so far was directly from Christ. So you can't question what Paul's saying. Because he's saying this was directly from Jesus. Now, verse 4. Dante, read. When you read this. Nope. What? When you read this. <laughs> what? You said red instead of read. <laughs> I would have said red too, but I did too. Oh, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Okay, so what's he saying that for? What? What's he saying? He's saying that when you read this. <laughs> You can understand my view of the mystery of Christ. Okay. All right. But he doesn't say view. What does he say? I get what you're trying. You're trying to summarize it in different yeah. words. Um, what does he call it? My insight. Perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Yes. Insight. So what makes... Why does he use the word insight? 
be. What is insight? Oh, no, go ahead. The insight of. It's like. The inside view. Yeah. Inside view. Good. Um, an insight. What I mean, what would you call an insight? If something were insightful, would it be something dumb? Would it be something that maybe you haven't thought of yet? Yes. So if I give you insight into um, how the Green Bay Packers offense works, and I was like, you know, the Packers do this, this, and that on offense, and you didn't know that, you'd be like, oh, thanks for the insight. Right? I just revealed something that's inside. Good word, Dante. It's something that's inside of something that you might not have known, right? Mm -hmm. So he's saying, when you read this, you can perceive my inside knowledge into the mystery of Christ. Meaning, you wouldn't know this without me. And you can know that I'm validated by Christ by telling you the mystery of Christ, of which I have inside knowledge about, that you don't, and I just shared it with you. So it's like validating his ministry, validating the mystery, validating the gospel, and validating the work of Christ. So this is, part of this is just like, this is how, we have to understand scripture within its real context, right? Like, not every verse in the Bible is this super encouraging verse that you can read and just go, man, that really makes my heart feel warm. Like, that's not what all scripture is about, right? Even though that a lot of it is. Um, it's important that we understand that when Paul's writing these letters, that he is facing opponents who disagree with him, who argue against him, who go into the very churches that he established and teach heresies that Paul did not teach, right? And so part of what Paul does in his ministry is he validates his ministry. And one of the best validations of his ministry is Jesus himself showed up after his resurrection and ascension to heaven, came back to talk to me by showing himself to me, and we met, and we chatted, and he told me all this mystery. And when you read this, if you question that this is true, he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. You can perceive just by my writing that I'm right. Because I'm telling you things you don't know. I'm making mysteries on, that are, were not known, now known. Okay? Verse 5. Dante, read. Which was not made known. Stop. What was not made known? The insight into the mystery of Christ. Good. So the mystery of Christ and the insight. Okay. Start verse 5 again. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So what's he saying there? He's saying that the insight that Jesus gave him that Jews and Gentiles are one was not given to previous generations. So what does he mean by previous generations? Um, there's a simple way to answer that and there's a more complex way to answer that. What would be the simplest way to answer that? Previous generations. Generations before Paul and yeah. Jesus. Excellent. Great. Okay, what is he really referring to? What insight is he adjusting? Like, 
What were people believing before this? The Old Covenant, the Law. Yeah, yeah. The Old Testament, Old Covenant, the Law. That's what they operated by. Okay? And now he's saying, so this was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. Meaning before me, from Abraham all the way up to now, in Paul's time, he's saying, you know, or really up to the time of Christ, this was not known. So, like, let me show you something. It's so humid in here, my Bible's sticking to the table. <laughs> All right, hold on. Wait. Charlie, if you made it this far, comment waffle in the, not comment, text waffle to the group chat. Ooh, good one. In the middle, too. Good job. Yeah, if you don't, then clearly you didn't listen. What if he just, like, just happened to fast-forward, like, ten seconds over that? Yeah, just right? Just like, oh, Mark's looking at Bible verse. I'll just skip ahead ten seconds. And... Yeah. <laughs> All right, if you're with us now, you got to go back 20 seconds and see what Dante said. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to like and subscribe. Okay, buddy. <laughs> All right, go to First Peter 1. First Peter one. Somebody's here. Yeah, the women in battle study. Oh, bruh. Bruh. I forgot about that. Same. Dude. It's only five thirty. I've gotten so much better at like finding places in my Bible since I like started this because now I like know where places in the Bible are because I'm like in the Bible, you know? Yeah, you know, I listen to a, I listen to, I know where they are because I used to listen to the song every day. Dude, like, everybody sings that song. I never heard that song in my life. Where's Joe singing your uncle? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And it's annoying, too. I'm not going to lie. Do you know it? Do you hear it? You say Bible's name. Yeah, I think so. Matthew, Mark, yes, Luke, John, that Acts, same tone. Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Galatians and Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, <laughs> First and Second Thessalonians, and then it's First Timothy and then Second Timothy, Titus and Philemon, Hebrews, James, and then it's First Peter, and then it's Second Peter, First John, Second John, Third John, Jude, Revelation. <laughs> no, you gotta Stop. Do the old. Stop. Do the old. Turn it off again. Maybe. Do the Old Testament. <laughs> well, just you two dudes. Oh, yeah. sorry. You probably don't want to be eating chips on the podcast. No, we don't. Okay. Well, you should put the crinkly bag as close to the microphone as possible. <laughs> ASMR break. <laughs> I just, ASMR Bible so <laughs> Okay, so. You didn't do the Old Testament. Okay, Old Testament. Stop. 512, 512. 512, 512. It's really important. Genesis, Exodus. <laughs> 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. Yep. There are different genres of writing in the Old Testament. You can break them down into 5, 12, 5, 5, 12. The first five are law. The, what are they called? The, nah. The first five books of the Bible are called the, dude, I almost said the Quran. Um, the, what are they called? Well, I'm, since you just said Quran, <laughs> and I know you know that's wrong, 
I'm assuming you're thinking of the word Torah. Yeah, Torah. I don't um, know why I've always connected those two words. They're actually called the Pentateuch, and oh. um, Penta meaning five, Tuk meaning law, five books of the law. So, or they're just called the Law of Moses, the first five books. There you go. They're also historical books, but they're called the Law. So the first five is Law. Five, what's next? Five, twelve. Then you have twelve books of history, of Israel's history, which is also included in the Law. But twelve books of history, five, twelve, five Law, twelve history, five, twelve, five, five, twelve. Another five are the books of poetry or wisdom. Yep. Is what they're really called, books of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And then another five, major prophets, final 12, minor prophets. Nice. That might help. That helps. Five, 12, five, five, 12. Five, 12, five, five, 12. Kind of nice that they're only two numbers. That is like nice. eight, seven, 13, two, one, four. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Anyways, uh, back to the discussion at hand. Um, in 1 Peter 1, 10, Paul, or I'm sorry, Peter writes, Concerning this salvation, follow along, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Let me just stop there and explain to you what's happening. Peter is telling us that the prophets in the Old Testament searched and inquired about when this Messiah was going to come. These guys wrote scripture about the coming Messiah, and they were like, when is he coming? When is he coming? When is he coming? Who is he? Where is he? When is he going to be here? What is it? What is it? The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the Messiah, is was working in them to write scripture and to tell Israel the promise of God is coming, the promise of God is coming, there will be a Messiah, there will be a Savior, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. They look into it and it says, verse 12, follow along, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that they have not, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. So what he's saying is the prophets in the Old Testament, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, was working in them to communicate Scripture, the promise of there's a future Messiah coming. And these very prophets were like, well, when is he coming? When is he coming? Who is he? Is he here? Is he going to be here soon? When does he come? And it says it was revealed to them that he's not going to show up in their time, but he's going to show up in the future time. And Peter writes... That time is for you, first century Jews who got Christ. Now, that good news is delivered to, if we take that truth and go back to Ephesians. Back to Ephesians. Then we know that that gospel that is now preached, that the Old Testament saints didn't get the Messiah, but now the Messiah has come, and you combine that with what Paul said in Ephesians and ultimately put together this idea that God had restricted awareness for the people about the Messiah, the mystery no one knew, right? And the, the, the prophets knew that the Messiah was coming, and it wasn't for their time. 
but the people didn't know, and the mysteries now revealed that the prophets were talking about this Christ that came. And so he says, it was not made known, in verse 5, this was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. Meaning, that's exactly what Peter was saying. That those generations of people didn't understand the promises that God was making. They didn't understand what you now understand now that Christ has come. And he says, it wasn't known to those generations before you, as it has now been revealed to who? So now it's, now it's revealed. It wasn't revealed before. Now it's, everything's out on the table. Christ has come, and he is gone, and he's coming back. So the, God, the fullness of the gospel is now available for anybody and everybody because the apostles and the prophets by the Spirit now reveal it. Okay? So this essentially what Paul's getting at is this is, not, this is good news, but it's not new news. This is old news. This gospel has always been what God has been preaching since the beginning of time. Okay? I'll prove it to you. Go to Galatians 3. Keep your finger in Ephesians. Gen what did I say? Genesis 3. Sorry. I think I said Galatians 3. Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Is there a need for the gospel if no one sins? No. No. Okay. So before the first human sin, was there a need for God to preach the gospel to people? No. Okay. So when would God need to preach the gospel to people? After sin has entered the world. After sin has entered the world. And when did sin enter the world? After Adam and Eve sinned. When Adam and Eve sinned, which is in Genesis chapter... Three. So when does God preach the gospel? Genesis chapter 3. Yeah, so the moment they sin, he preaches the gospel. Yeah. So they sin, and he says to the serpent, look at chapter 3, verse 14. Genesis three fourteen. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go. And dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, that's hatred. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring. Who's the offspring? Um, the offspring is... Uh... <laughs> I can't think of any names now, but... The offspring... Wait, Cain and Abel... But also everyone. No. Oh, okay. I mean, there is a, a collective group. Um, no. The word is actually, a, it, the word offspring is actually a collective singular. So it's a singular uh, noun, but it's a collective singular noun. Meaning it does include more than one person, but, it, but, but contextually he clarifies who the offspring is at the end of the verse. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Who's you, your offspring? Who's you? That's what I'm Who's trying he to talking to? I'm trying to figure out if he's still talking to the serpent or if now he's talking to Adam. Well, verse 16, he said to the woman. Verse 17, he said to Adam. Oh. So who's he talking to? The serpent. The serpent. 
who is Satan. Satan. Okay? And so he will put enmity between you and the woman and between the offspring of Satan, so anyone who's not a believer, and oh. her offspring, which is Christ. Okay? We know it's Christ because he says, He shall bruise your head. Look at the text. He shall bruise your head. End of verse 15. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What does that mean? Okay, now keep in mind, this is God preaching the gospel. This is the first time he preaches the gospel. What is he saying? He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That God's, that Satan is going to kill Jesus and then Jesus is going to come back from the dead? Essentially. So what is the idea of the head being bruised and the heel being bruised? Why does he say he? So who's he? He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. Who's you? You is Satan. Right. So who's he? He is Jesus. Jesus. So, so Jesus, Jesus is going to bruise Satan's head and Satan's going to bruise Jesus' heel. What does that mean? Like Jesus is going to win. because. Why head and heel? Um... Which one would be worse? The head. Okay. So, which one would be fatal? The head. The head. Is a heel injury going to be fatal? No, it's going to be But a head injury can be fatal. Yeah. So, what is he saying? But a heel injury still hurts. Yeah, so he'll still... Yeah, it'll still inflict pain, so there'll still be loss. There'll still be loss, there'll still be suffering, there'll be death, actually. Yeah. Which... But not permanent, because he rises from the grave, so Satan will bruise his heel, but what will Jesus do in return, in response, not in response, but what will Jesus do in counter to that? He Kill him. Conquer Satan. Conquer, conquer. So, this is God preaching the gospel early, okay? Early on. So... Everybody who's, everybody after Adam and Eve, including Adam and Eve, every human has had the gospel revealed to them to some extent. Um, or at least the knowledge of God revealed to them to some extent. You see here early that God reveals the gospel to Adam and Eve. Go back to Ephesians. Okay. And he says... Which, in verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations has now been made known to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. God has been preaching this same gospel since Genesis 3. Like, he preached Christ and his crucifixion in Genesis 3. Now, he wasn't specific, right? Mm -hmm. He wasn't clear. He wasn't like, Jesus is going to be his name. He'll be born in Bethlehem. Like, he didn't tell us any of that yet. We will see more of that in the Old Testament. As the Old Testament progresses, God does reveal more and more and more of the mystery. And still, the mystery is hidden until Christ comes and goes. And then the apostles have the fullness of the mystery revealed. But this is a mystery because God doesn't share all the details of the gospel throughout the Old Testament. He tells Adam and Eve 
to the or he tells the serpent this the woman's gonna have a seed and that seed is gonna bruise your head and you're gonna bruise his heel so it's like you know now that we know the gospel we can look back and see that god tells abraham um you know i'm gonna have a seed that's gonna come from you again the seed is christ and a seed that comes from you and he will bless the nation so now you've got a little bit more gospel revealed okay this seed is gonna bring salvation to everybody um, not every human ever lives, but every representation in the world, every people group, every nation will be represented. And then he goes on and ex throughout the Old Testament and clarifies more and more and more of the gospel. But still, it's a mystery until Christ actually shows up. And then, at, in, and then even in Jesus' life, there's mystery. Because Jesus doesn't, he even says to the... Uh, he says in the Gospels that he, um, he says, tear down this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And I'll raise it. He says, tear down this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Mm -hmm. And what did the people say back to him? Um, that's impossible. That's impossible. Okay. And then what does scripture say right after that? Do you guys know? The author, I don't remember which gospel it's in. I think it's in John. I could be wrong. Um, says he was speaking of himself and his resurrection. Yeah. So at the time when he says it, people don't know what he's talking about. But after he resurrected and the gospel authors wrote the gospels, they understood then, oh, that's what he meant when he said that. I'll add that in the gospel as I'm writing it. Jesus said this, no one knew what he meant, but now that it's already happened, we understand that that's what he meant, right? So even in Jesus's time, you can see that the gospel isn't fully revealed. And he even has to say to Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter goes, you're the Christ. But Peter then turns around and says, Jesus, you should not have to go die. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Close. Get away from me. Not away. Get out of here. Get. Get behind me. Get behind me, Satan. To Peter. Why does he say that to Peter? Because Peter said, Jesus, I forbid that you die. Jesus says, I have to die. And Peter says, no, you don't. Because and Satan. Jesus calls Peter Satan what? Why does he call him Satan? Because Satan was the one saying it, but he used Peter as a tool. It's not that Satan was saying it. What was Peter saying? Peter was telling Jesus to skip the cross. Yeah. And what does Jesus know? You can't skip the cross. Sacrifice is required for salvation. I have to die. And if you tell me I don't have to die, Peter, you are saying the same thing Satan is saying. Because when Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness... He offered to give Jesus everything if he would just bow to him. He was essentially telling Jesus, skip the cross. Skip the suffering. And then Peter says the same thing. Skip the suffering. And Jesus says, that's exactly what Satan told me, Peter. And so, like, even Peter doesn't quite fully understand the gospel while Jesus is on earth. It's not until Jesus dies, and even when he's dead, people are worried and then when Jesus shows up resurrected, they're like, what did James say? Or I'm not sorry, not James. Uh, what did um, Thomas say when Jesus showed up after his resurrection? 
He just... Prove it? Prove it. Yeah, he didn't believe I, him. Yeah, we call him Doubting Thomas because he doubted it. Sure, Jesus was standing right in front of him and he still didn't see the big picture. Then, even after the resurrection, and he'd been around for 40 days... The apostle said to him in Acts chapter 1, All right, Jesus, you're here now. When are we going to go take over Jerusalem? And Jesus is like, you guys still don't get it. There's way more. This is not, I'm not here to take over Jerusalem right now. I'm going to heaven. You're going to go, you're going to live the rest of this life on this earth. I'm going to send my spirit to dwell in you and you're going to teach the people my gospel. And when Jesus sends his Holy Spirit into the apostles, click, the gospel makes sense. It's not till Acts chapter 1 that the God, or Acts chapter 2, that the gospel finally makes sense to the world because the apostles see it, they understand it, and they go preach it to the world. Before then, so when Paul says in Ephesians 3, 5 that the sons of men in other generations didn't understand this, that's why. Because no one understood it until the apostles finally got it, and that was only a few years before Paul wrote this. Yeah. So, verse 6, what's the mystery? What? The mystery is... Um, the mystery is the gospel. I mean, it was... The mystery is... Um, yes, the gospel. What aspect of the gospel specifically? That the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. So how many benefits are there to this mystery in this verse? How many benefits? Yep. Every benefit? It benefits everyone? Well, read it. The mystery is that the Gentiles are, what's what's benefit number one? They're fellow heirs. What's benefit number two? Members of the same body. And number three? Partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Okay, through the what? Gospel. Through the gospel. So it's only through the gospel that these things happen. Clarifying the importance of the fact that this is all about the gospel and that, and that, that there are actual benefits. So... Gentiles become something that Gentiles never thought they could be. And Gentiles become something that Jews never thought Gentiles could be. Fellow heirs with Christ. Members of the same body, Jews and Gentiles, blending together. Unity. And when we get to chapter 4, you'll see Paul drive home this idea of fellow heirship and unity. Members of the same body. And then he says, also partakers of the promise. Look back at chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that you were, talking to Gentiles, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And then go down to 3 5, and now you're partakers in those very promises that you didn't get to have before. Why? Because of God's grace in Jesus Christ through the gospel. This is the best news that anyone could ever tell anyone ever in life. Like, without this, you are not a fellow heir, you are not a member of the body, and you do not receive any promises. What do you get instead? Hell. Yeah. So this is great news to Gentiles. And it's great news to the church, because the church which thought of itself early on as strictly Jewish, suddenly becomes Gentile. And now the entire world is the mission field. So like, this is still a reality today. Like, what is it? What, okay, so let's apply this to our lives today. What does this mean? 
The whole entire world is our mission field. Anybody can be saved. Okay, now we're going to put God's sovereignty, not aside, but um, because, because when we talk about God's sovereignty in relationship to evangelism, you guys know what evangelism is? Yes. Mm-hmm. Sharing the gospel? No. Okay, spreading the gospel message. Um, when we talk about God's sovereignty in relationship to evangelism, one of the main questions is, what's the point of evangelism if God is electing who he's going to save? Well, God is not only sovereign over who he saves, God is sovereign over the means by which he saves. Right. So evangelism is important because he commands us to do it, and our evangelism is the means that God has sovereignly ordained to secure the election of those whom he's chosen. So, so what does what does this teach us? How can we apply this? Okay, and the entire world is the mission field. So, what does that mean to us? That anybody can be saved. So, preach the gospel to everybody. Can anybody really be saved? Who can be saved? Um, the elect. The elect. Who will who will be saved? The elect. Who will not be saved? The not elect. Not elect. Do you know who the elect are? No. Do you no. know who the non-elect are? No. No. So who should we sh- not share the gospel with? No one. Who should we share the gospel with? Everyone. Right. Is everyone you share the gospel with going to believe? No. 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 So... If we don't have, like, a perspective on um, sharing the gospel with the world, like, if we don't... Okay, do you guys remember, did you guys hear what Tony Lapushi said last night? Yeah. What? Well... You just said... <laughs> <laughs> like, I thought you knew exactly what I was saying. I was going to say something about him, but... Because I was, I was literally thinking about him when you said that. That's why I said it. I was, I was thinking about something else, though, that he said, but yes, go. Well, what, what are you thinking about? Well, I was just thinking about how cool it was that, like, they, um, they, uh, not only do they go out and evangelize and share the gospel, and then when they get to the point where someone says that they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, instead of just, like, marking a check, like, there's another one, they, like... Disciple. disciple them. I thought that was really cool. I don't know why that was Absolutely. In my head. That's a fantastic application. Uh, that was probably like one of the first, like, I haven't been to many, so, but that was probably like one of the first, like, ministry, like, testimonies I've heard that they've done that instead of just, like, I don't so know. He, I thought it was really cool. He made a statement last night. Yeah, be the narrator, Dante. What what's happening in the room right now? He's looking for books. He's currently looking on the central left side. He, he selected a book with a, approximately seven hundred pages. Yes, this is very thick book. Okay. Hold on a second here. Um, Tony LaPucci last night made a very
Tony Lupucci made a statement last night that is a direct quote from John Piper. John Piper wrote this. Read the first line. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Okay, what does it say? Keep reading. Worship is. Okay, and stop. Now, the, this next sentence is what Tony Lapushi said. Now read it. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship Mission exists. Oh, I remember when he said that. That's it. Missions exist because worship doesn't. He said that last night, and when he said it, I was like, that's a John Piper quote. And I'd prove it to you because I know it's in the book. I thought it was so funny that the second you grabbed the microphone, he's like, uh-oh, this is going to be a theological question. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, how do you feel? <laughs> um, so that idea that missions exist because worship doesn't, what is the aim then? What do we want to see happen? Do we want to be an inclusive, or I'm sorry, an exclusive church where we're like, we don't let anybody else in if they're not you know, like us, and we're just going to be this little tight-knit group that only looks looks inwardly? Is no. that healthy for us? No. What do we want? We want what? We, I mean... Ultimately, what do we want? Big picture. Biggest picture in the world. To grow God's kingdom. No. Oh. Um, Bigger. Glorify God. To glorify God. And and so now, say what you just said. How do we glorify God? One of the ways we glorify God? Making God's kingdom bigger. Building God's kingdom. Yeah, making it bigger. How do we make it bigger? Evangelizing. And evangelizing. Why do we evangelize people? What do we want? If God's glory is our aim, what do we want in evangelism? We want to... Bring brothers and sisters to Christ. Why? To bring God more glory. Right. And how does God get more glory when other people get saved? What do they do? How do they respond? So when someone gets saved, you go evangelize and share the gospel with somebody in Albania and they believe the gospel. What just happened? Piper, the Piper quote. Think about the Piper quote. What just happened? What was not happening in their life and worship. Is now worship. Worship just happened. So the name of Jesus gets worshipped when you share the gospel with somebody and they believe. The name of Christ gets exalted. That's the whole point. It's to exalt Christ that brings God glory. The only reason we do missions and spread the gospel is so that the name of God, the name of Christ, would be worshipped. We want to make his name famous. We want him to get the glory he deserves. Think about this. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. We run around talking about all the things we love. Oh, have you heard that new song? Oh, have you seen that new movie? Oh, this is so good, this is so good, this is so good. Why do we share those things? Because they give us joy, right? Yeah. And Lewis's point, C.S. Lewis's point is, he says that um, praise is the pinnacle of joy. Does that make sense? Yep. Mm -hmm. Something makes you happy, and because it makes you so happy, we have this innate desire to share it with other people. Like, if you, if you, like, when I remember when I was a kid and I got my Sega Genesis, my parents finally bought me a Sega Genesis. For years, I never got a gaming station, and all my friends did, and I didn't. And then one year, my parents bought me a Sega. 
I called all my friends. I was like, I've got a second Genesis, dude. Oh my gosh, you gotta come over. I got a second Genesis. I told everybody. <laughs> was I happy before I called him? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Well, I called them yeah. to tell them how excited I was. So. Oh, yes, before yeah. I thought yes. you meant like before you got the Sega Genesis. Like, no, you know I mean? got the Sega. Was I happy that I got the yes. Sega? Yes. And what did I have to do? You had to share it. I had you. to share it because pra- So what I'm doing is I'm praising the the Sega Genesis. I'm praising this thing that brings me joy, and by expressing the joy that it gives me, I'm exalting it, right? That's natural. So if you see a great movie, like when I watched Endgame, I was like, you have to see this movie. It it's was so, so good. good. Oh my so goodness. Good. I went back the next day and watched it again. I couldn't get enough of it. It was such a great conclusion to such wonderful storytelling. <laughs> it was so good. And it was so, I enjoyed it, but then I you have to tell people about it. And that's C.S. Lewis's point is praise is the pinnacle of joy. When joy meets its greatest height, it has to come out of us. That is ultimately what we want to see happen in other people. We want them to have joy in God so that, and they can't have joy in God without Christ, so we have to give them Christ so that they get satisfied by God, have joy in God, and if they really have joy in God, what will happen? They will praise Him. Mm -hmm. And he will get the glory he deserves in their praise. That praise can look a lot of different, like a lot of different things, but it will be worship. Romans 12.1 says that your life is a sacrificial worship. Your life, being a sacrifice to God, is your form of worship. We use the word worship. We're always talking about music. That's not what worship is. Worship music is worship, is a form of worship. But Hebrew, uh, Romans 12.1 and 2 says that your sacrificial living is your worship. Your faithfulness is your worship. Joy is worship. And so, we want people to worship God with their lives. And they'll only do that if Christ is their joy and that will cause them to praise God's name and he will be exalted. That's why missions exist. Because people don't praise God and they should. And if they don't, they will go to hell. So, when you think about everything Paul just said, he's Telling the Ephesian church, it's finally available for everybody. Like, there's finally an answer to life. Not that there wasn't before, but now this whole mystery has been fully unveiled, and now we have a purpose for living, and it's to spread the gospel of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of his people. And this is why our church's vision or mission or whatever you want to call it is God's glory, our joy. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So what two things exist in that statement? God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. What two things exist? What what does God get? Satisfaction. Nope. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. What does God get? Glory, glory. Glory. And what do we get? Satisfaction. 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 <laughs> I think you need to go back to sixth grade, man. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, so, if God is most glorified in us, 
when we are most satisfied in him, what should your aim in life be? What is your ultimate goal, purpose of existence? Why do you live? To glorify God. To glorify God. So satisfied with God. Being satisfied in God is your greatest purpose because it brings him glory. Yes. He is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. So though you want to bring God glory, you need to be satisfied in him. How could you be satisfied in God? What would be another word for satisfaction? Um, Content. Absolutely. As a word that ultimately brings out satisfaction. It's the way that we express our satisfaction. Joy. Joy. And when joy reaches its greatest height, it becomes? Satisfaction. Praise. Praise. Remember? Joy yep, at the praise. So, so your entire purpose of living should be joy. The Christians should be the happiest people on earth regardless of their circumstances because of who we have. That should be the identifying mark of your life. If you're a negative Nelly who is constantly like looking at everyone else and going, well, they, well, they, well, they, well, they, and they, and they, and they're not like me and they don't believe what I believe and they don't do that. That's negative. It's not joyful. We should be so satisfied in who Christ is that joy just fills us up. We love Jesus no matter how hard it is. Man, I had a hard, I've had a hard couple of years at this church. Before that, I had a really hard couple of years in a different scenario, it was difficult, but God's like, doesn't matter, you're doing it for me, for the gospel, for my glory, and I'm like, yes. So even though things don't go the way I want, and there are troubles and sufferings and sacrifices, I'm like, James chapter one, count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, why? So that regardless of my circumstance, I will glorify God in being satisfied in Him. That's the purpose of your life. Joy. If joy is not the purpose of joy in Christ, not just happiness, because you could find happiness watching a basketball game or going golfing or whatever. <laughs> but that's not real joy. I'm talking about joy in Christ. Being satisfied in Christ is your greatest pursuit. So, how do you pursue satisfaction in Christ? Not, there's a lot of ways, so there's no wrong, really. There's a lot of right answers here. How do you pursue satisfaction in Christ? By pursuing joy. By pursuing joy. How do you pursue joy? By being happy. How do you be happy? Know the gospel. Know the gospel? What else? How would you know the gospel? If you read Read the Bible. Read the pray. Bible. Pray. What else? Um, fellowship. Fellowship. What else? Um, be nice to people. Uh, sometimes, sometimes not being nice scene. to people is the right thing to do. But yeah, build relationships. Yep, relationships. That's um, fellowship, though. Right, giving. Yep. Serving. Yep. How about dying? Yes. How about suffering? Yes. Sacrificing? Yep. Yes. Are those things going to bring you, are they? Gonna, are those the things that, will the world tell you that suffering is going to bring you happiness? No. Does the gospel tell us that suffering brings us happiness? Yep. Yeah. So is it worth sacrificing so that you might suffer? Y- yes. Why? Because you get what out of it? Salvation. 
Well, what do we just say? You get joy. One, joy. Right? I don't want to convey this idea that you get saved by salvation. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. Um, so, although salvation ultimately is you sacrificing your life for Christ, but, um, like, this is why we preach and teach here, be in the Word, be in prayer, give, serve, sacrifice, suffer, die to self, die to self, die to self. And, like, that's hard because all of us have sin and struggles and things that we face, and it's difficult, and, like, I get that, but that's why we have each other in the church. And so all this is meant to lead you to joy. And that joy magnifies God's glory. So this is why we push those important things, like, being, and you guys do it. You're, you go to all these Bible studies. You know, you're in the Word. You're serving both of you serve, both of you go to every Bible study, both of you go to the prayer meetings, both of you are doing these things. And my concern for you two specifically is that you will think that you are set and you're the good ones because you're doing all the right things. And that's not true. Doing all these right things doesn't make you right with God. Jesus makes you right with God. And if you do all the right things, you could do it with the wrong attitude, with the wrong heart, thinking I'm, making, I'm good because I'm doing all the stuff I'm supposed to do. And if joy is not, if, if joy is not coming out of you, if joy is not filling you, if you're not satisfied in Christ, you can do all the good things. Go to all the Bible studies. Go to all the prayer meetings. Um, give, serve the church. Do everything your parents tell you to do. Be an obedient child. Be an obedient servant to the Lord. Do all those things. And there's no joy. It's worthless. God punished Israel for doing everything right except for doing it joyfully. So, it is not the aim that you do all the right things. You do all the right things to get satisfaction in Christ. The whole reason we study the Bible, the whole reason you pray, the whole reason you should give, the whole reason you should serve, the whole reason you do any of these things that we tell you to do in the church is so that you would find Jesus to be your greatest pleasure. Not your phone, not video games, not work, not anything else not the attention you get not the praise you get for being a good kid that's not the goal the goal is that you would be satisfied in christ that jesus would be your greatest joy i want you in the word because i want you to find christ and you to go doesn't matter nothing else in my life matters good or bad how things are going i found jesus that's all i need he satisfies my heart i'm happy regardless of what happens that will change the way you live dramatically Okay. Okay. Son. Hmm. Any questions? Nope. All right. Hey, Charlie, you want to lead us out in prayer? Let's just sit here quietly while Charlie prays. Okay. Over his. Uh... Charlie, you need to pray out loud, and we'll just sit here and and pray with you, and we'll see if if our timing and your timing lines up perfectly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, <laughs> He's like, oh. Okay. Anyways, um, who wants to pray us out? I'll pray. Okay, Evan, go ahead. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for all you are and all that you do. I thank you for this time together, and I thank you for this time for learning more about you. Um, 
I just pray that we can have a wonderful rest of our summer and a wonderful rest of our week and that we can glorify you and that that, our, that that can be our aim in everything we do and that by learning this we can use this information to glorify you even more and in Jesus name amen. amen Charlie if you made it this far text race car to the group chat okay <laughs> waffle and race car Interesting. oh shoot <laughs> Well, if he no. sends Waffle no. and race car at the same time, we'll know he'd skip the middle part. Oh. So they should show up like 30 minutes apart at least. At least. We got you, Charlie. <laughs>